Welcome to Video Vices with Contemporary Research. Listen in monthly as we talk integration, innovation, and industry with leaders across AV. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Video Vices by Contemporary Research. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. We just wrapped up another great Infocom. This was Infocom 2019, obviously, in Orlando, Florida, and it's ProAV's biggest and most exciting American conference. And a lot of trends stood out to me, from weather-resistant LED to transparent LED to 8K, etc. You know, the, the technology was abundant. My personal favorite moment, though, had to be at the Avixa Women's Council Breakfast, where I really got a first-hand look at the strides that AV has taken to become more inclusive, diverse, and creative. The tech, the cultural changes, everything at Infocom was just really, really exciting this year, and luckily, I got to share that Avixa's Women's Council Breakfast experience sitting next to our guest today on the podcast, the one and only Christy Ricketts, VP of Operations and Marketing at Contemporary Research, and we have her on today to give her personal take on 2019's Infocom. We're going to bounce some ideas and some talking points off each other. Should be a good time. Christy, great to be chatting again. How you doing? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, when I saw you at the breakfast, I knew I had to go nab a seat next to you. And luckily you were you were front row. So I was I was lucky enough to get the the best experience in the house, I think. Yeah, definitely. We were glad to have everyone up in the front. And man, it was a really um, exciting room with a ton of energy and a lot of extra people and tables and chairs being added because we had so many people show up this year. Oh, yeah. And we'll we'll break down more on the breakfast, um, some of the specific numbers in attendance, as well as the message from the keynote speaker. Um, but first, I just kind of want to get your overall takes on the show. Um, so how, how many Infocoms have you been to now? This was number seven for me. Nice. So in those seven years, what stands out to you as different about this Infocom versus previous ones? Well, I really feel like over the last couple of years, and especially this one, you know, uh, Infocom rotates between Orlando and Las Vegas. So Infocom this year was in Orlando. Um, I always feel like they are very different shows depending on what city you're in. But I really feel like over the last couple of years, and especially this year, uh, the industry as a whole has taken a much more business approach. Obviously, the influx of IT and IP and kind of, um, and really Evixa changing the name to be more inclusive of live entertainment and kind of a larger, a larger scale than just um, audiovisual, because now obviously it's it's everywhere it's in retail it's in you know convention centers it's in arenas it's in stadiums it's really everywhere you look there's televisions distributing video somewhere um, so I really feel like it's it's become much more business focused um, there's definitely uh, it, they definitely have a lot of fun and the industry is a lot of fun but when you're at infocom in the last few years it has definitely taken on a very um, fast pace and much more of a, a work-focused environment. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting you feel that way because my experience, it, it wasn't the opposite, but I was just really, um, really excited to see everyone at least present themselves in a really kind of fun, energetic way. I mean, the, the energy was very high. Everyone felt... Uh, felt, you know, really excited to be there, really happy to be there, and... 
it, not not taking everything too seriously. You know, still still being there to get stuff done, but you know, maybe I just wasn't getting um, the same interactions that you were getting. I'm sure as an exhibitor, it, being a little more business focused is probably the way to go. Um, you know, trying to capitalize on every second you're there because it, it really does fly by. Oh yeah, definitely. And obviously we're there to sell products. I mean, we're yeah. there to talk to customers and, and look at it from that perspective. I do know, um, and because I'm involved with the Women's Council Breakfast, I've been lucky that I've gotten to um, kind of see other aspects of the show. I know they have some really amazing trainings that they offer. Um, they have a lot of you know social meetups. I know AV Tweeps does some stuff. They have kind of a lot of um, fun activities Um as well. I don't know if you got to go to the Crestron party or any of, see other, the, the, the bands, the drunken, uh, uh, drunken monkeys, I think is their name. Mm-hmm. Drunken uncles, sorry. Um, so I don't know if you've gotten to see them play, but, um, if you get to go to any of those events as well, it's, it's really, um, a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately I missed out on a lot of the AV after dark activities. Um, I was really upset that I missed AV Roki. That was, uh, that happened Tuesday night. I didn't get there till Wednesday morning or well, I guess really late Tuesday. So I would have missed it regardless. But yeah, I mean that, that kind of stuff is always what um, gets me super excited. And unfortunately I I had to miss it all, but, um, but yeah, I live for karaoke. So it would have been nice to, (laughs) uh, to go get, get the pipes moving. Yeah, I'm sure that was probably a lot of fun. So more on the show specifically, um, some of the things that I noticed, uh, and again, I was on the show floor, I was hitting up educational sessions. Uh, you know, My focus there was, was really more on the thought leadership and where can I source the, the best information from the most exciting and passionate leaders in the industry. So that led me to a lot of educational sections um, there at the show, um, a lot of the seminars. And one of the big talking points that seemed to resonate from uh, one session to the next was this idea of the experience economy and how it's affecting Pro-AV. Um, I heard it at a, a retail attainment session. I heard it one on theme parks. Um, you know, even heard it at, at ones on uh, uh, BYOD and workplace implementation and and how AV professionals um, are taking to the hospitality industry and the um, the opportunities in that industry. So, I mean, from one end to the next, I feel like this experience economy is really driving change in AV. Um, did you feel anything like that? Did you hear anything like that or have any conversations on the topic while you were at Infocom? I didn't necessarily have conversations, but I definitely think you can see that throughout most of the exhibits. I mean, obviously, I spend most of my day on the show floor right, um, running around and, you know, kind of obviously being in the booth. But we do have an opportunity to, to walk by and see uh, kind of what everybody's showcasing. And, you know, everything is definitely turning more towards that, you know, that experience. I mean, it's exactly what we were kind of talking about earlier. Um, Those transparent screens, um, you know, there's everything, everything you could use really anywhere. And television is not just something to be watched. It's now becoming really kind of two-way communication. You know, you can, you can view it, but then you can also learn from it and then you can react to it. Um, so you can you can learn from the messaging that 
you know, the, the video screens are, are displaying and then you can react and buy something or, uh, do an action or engage, um, even on your phone. A lot of times they'll have messaging that will allow you to engage in social media or, um, you know, some sort of activity. So I think that's really, you know, time is precious and, people are waiting or if they're coming in somewhere, they, they want to get what they want and get out and they want it to be done quickly and they want to understand what they're getting. And then, you know, then they want to move on to the next thing. Yeah. And I mean, uh, e-commerce has really pushed that forward, the convenience of the consumer. Um, and it really has turned, the brick and mortar store into something that's more of an event. You know, when you go there, you're looking for something that you're not going to get at home, that you're not going to get with your VR goggles that you're not going to get by shopping online. I mean, it's, it's something that's got to be unique and, um, digital signage and immersive, uh, AV technologies, I think are, are really leading the way for this experience economy. So it was really cool to get so many different perspectives on that trend. Yeah, I would agree completely. I mean, you know, rarely do you walk into a, a updated restaurant now that doesn't have digital menus, right? Right, right. That aren't showing what their food looks like, that aren't, you know, give, you know, it was, I remember when I first was traveling overseas and, and we had gone to Japan, they have the wax food, you know, out so that you could point to which one you were wanting to eat. And, you know, I always thought, oh, that's so weird. But now you've got digital menus and videos and, you know, kind of goes through each one of the, each one of the menu items and you can just kind of see what they look like and eat with your eyes. So, you know, there's so much going on um, and it really is everywhere. I, sometimes you don't even think you realize how much visually is happening because you're so used to it now. Um, so it, it's pretty amazing. It's only going to get more and more and more. And I think Avixa was probably right on the money to change their name and try to really make sure everyone felt included in that. Yeah. Well, speaking of inclusion, uh, you know, I think we got to break down the attendance numbers of the show to get a look for how inclusive it really was. And I'd say this year was a success in that regard. Um, Registration numbers were up. uh, 44,000-ish people were there, and about a fifth of them were from outside of the states. Uh, so why why do you think that is? Why do you think we saw so many people this year? Um, what brought more people to this show? Uh, well, I think there's probably a variety of things. You know, Orlando, I would have to go back and look at the numbers. I don't know if Orlando typically has the larger of attendance. If this is, and I think this is the largest they've had um, of, of either show. Being in Orlando probably helps. Obviously, it's closer to Europe. It's uh, it's a pretty easy flight. A lot of times being in the summer, people want to come to Florida anyway, might want to bring their family. What a great opportunity to to be there. So that, that could play a role. Um, I really think that the inclusion of what we were just talking about, you know, other types of companies, not just AV integrators. I was laughing because on Wednesday, I used to work my first job out of college was Feld Entertainment, which owns um, motorsports and Disney on ice. They're actually out of Sarasota. And I was in the lunch line, one of the lines, and I turned around and there were two people from Feld Entertainment there. And I was like, wow, the lighting designing and the purchaser were, were both there. And I thought, man, that's great. I've never seen Feld here before. What an amazing opportunity. And then not an hour later, my other job, American Airlines Center here in Dallas, the the head of the audiovisual and the broadcast engineer, he came by the booth and wanted to say hello. So uh, 
it's really amazing that all of these arenas and live entertainment, family shows, and and just really that that whole world. And I'm sure there are plenty of colleges and universities and end users um, that were there as well that are they're just filled. Um, it's strong enough that they need to come and see what technology is is bringing them and what their options are. Yeah, I think it goes back to that inclusivity of Ixa's pushing. Um, you know, when when the industry sets the standard that everyone deserves to have a voice, then naturally, I think you're going to see more people wanting to give their input and go to see what other people are saying in the industry. And Infocom is is that perfect petri dish for that kind of growth. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, there's just so much, so much happening. It's really um, exciting and and interesting. And, um, you know, I, I think that will, that trend will only continue. Yeah. And then pointing to the one fifth of people being from outside of the States who were at the show, I think that's another really, really cool stat to look at. Um, mostly because I think the industry as a whole has become more global in recent years. Um, do you think it's important that we have more global representation at Infocom? Um, and if so, why? Well, absolutely. I think, you know, we also attend NAB, the National Association of Broadcasters show. They have a large uh, international population that attends. But you know as well as I know, telephones, the idea of Google Translator, um, you know, WhatsApp. I mean, all of those things are bringing people together, right? It's a much smaller world now. You can communicate. You can buy something from Sweden if you want to. I mean, it, you know, that that's kind of like the e-commerce thing. Before, you used to have to travel somewhere to buy something special from that place. And now you can pull it up on Amazon, figure out a way to get it and, and order it. So I think that world has become much smaller. Also, the the introduction of IP really puts us all on an even playing field. You know, you you can distribute IP in just about anywhere, and so that makes it different. And uh, you know, the U.S. is obviously known for being innovative. They're known for um, obviously having a large market to sell to, and so I think a lot of people in in Europe and other countries they they want to come up. I know we saw a lot of people from Mexico. We saw a lot of people from South America and Central America. And those are important uh, areas as well, and they're they're excited about really what the trends are and what's going on, and if they're going to come and see what's happening, they're going to come to the states to see what the latest is. Well, yeah, and I also think the states have um, a lot of untapped potential for things that have worked in Europe. Uh, one example is kiosks in fast food restaurants. Not that we're not seeing those here in the states, but... I mean, I know when I was in Spain uh, a few years ago, every single McDonald's I ever went to, and I, you're probably asking, why are you going to McDonald's in Spain? Um, but every McDonald's I would go to had a, uh, a digital kiosk for me to use. I, I barely spoke to actual people unless I was going to the counter to actually pick up my food. And that was integrated across so many other fast food chains in the area too. And based on conversations I've had with other professionals in AV who are in Europe, that has really taken off. It hasn't quite taken off as much here in the States, though it's beginning to. And I think you're seeing companies from across the world who specialize in digital signage for interactive kiosks or even menu boards, like you said, they're seeing more opportunity in the States. And so obviously they're going to want to bring their business here. So important to have that representation at the show because uh, the connections you make at the show are pretty invaluable. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the reason why that kiosk thing probably is not um, quite as popular here is because so many people have phones. Yeah. And the mobile ordering, I'm positive, has gone up because I've, you know, I do it. I, I pop in the order I want, I choose it, and then I just walk in and grab it. I don't even have to to wait to mobile order, you know, to, to order at a kiosk when I get there. I just do it on the phone. So I'm sure that um, that trend is growing dramatically. And yeah, that's going to continue as well. I would think for retail restaurants, the ability to change menu pricing and not have to reprint all those boards over and over and over and to be able to change that on a whim or to change it on if if you're having trouble getting a product, what I think would just be you know, a huge benefit for them. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So let's look at some other numbers, this time numbers coming from Avixa and the Women's Council Breakfast specifically, which you know, I think we both saw was a real success this year. Yeah, um, yeah. And we, we learned at the breakfast that in the span of a year, local Avixa Women's Councils more than doubled from 17 to 40, which, you know, in the span of one year is pretty amazing. Do you think that this is representative of a more established step forward for women in AV seeing this growth? Absolutely. I mean, what we found in these groups that are popping up really everywhere is people do want to connect and and it's not just women attending the groups. I mean, men are always welcome to attend. Um, Anyone, anyone is welcome. There's not, you know, there's no reason why, why you can't come. What we hope eventually is that the discussion of it being a women's council event will not really be the discussion. We hope that there'll be groups that everyone can attend on a local level, that Avixa will have opportunities to network and meet and greet and learn new things, you know, two, three, four times a year. And then you'll meet up at Infocom. But, you know, not everybody's going to Infocom. Not everybody can go there. Not everybody gets there. Um, so having these opportunities on a local level to meet with people and network is really um, valuable. And I think it's probably hugely valuable for Avixa to say we've been able to mobilize this um, from, you know, from a, a trade organization, uh, because I don't know many other trade organizations that have been able to do that. Yeah, not often do you see an organization be able to have that kind of grassroots effect on an industry. Um, you know, typically, though, yes, organization um, works, you know, having more people behind a cause. But, you know, I, I think some of these uh, more socially driven causes often get pushed by um, I- individuals in the space, leaders that then kind of create the movement. Whereas here, we really saw Avixa, which was already an established organization, really lead the charge for um, creating a space for women to feel accepted and feel like they had a voice in the industry. So yeah, I, I agree. It is different to see an established organization be the one to really cause this much change in an established industry. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting about it is the AV industry has kind of a, I would say a reputation, you know, for obviously being male, male dominated, not necessarily, um, you know, for, for any other reason other than that it's technical heavy and there are more men than women that, you know, usually lean towards that. So, and, and it obviously over time had not been extremely encouraged to have a lot more women get involved. So I think, uh, the fact that so many smart, intelligent, and 
focused and extremely capable women are willing and able to be in this industry. They're, they're doing the work um, and they're doing it well, you know, very well. And we have so many friends, male friends that are supporting us and, you know, are happy to work with us and happy to, um, to have us there and, and really developing great friendships that it's just been, um, it's really been a, a great, wonderful, supportive project to work on an environment to be a part of. Um, and I think what's, what's exciting about it is, you know, we really would love for eventually it to be 50, 50 and it's just not an issue anymore. Right. We just don't even talk about it. Yeah. Be great. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that's something I heard from, um, I, I interviewed, um, Sennheiser's ex head of marketing after the uh, women's council breakfast. And she was saying, you know, really in her eyes, the issue gets solved when the women's councils don't really even need to exist anymore, right? That exactly. when when it's not something that there has to be a, a big movement around and where you don't need separate or organized spaces specifically for women to feel like they have a voice in the industry, it'll just come naturally. So, yes, yes we're, we're still a ways away from that, but the strides that we made in the last year are incredible and it's something we heard too from the keynote speaker at um, the women's council breakfast uh christine shavink am i saying that last name right yes I perfect think so. yeah yeah christine shavink she's the ceo of sure audio um and her message was really really powerful um what really stood out to me was when she recounted a story of her looking to get a promotion at her company and when she didn't get it, she asked her supervisor, why did I not get this promotion? And the supervisor said, oh, I didn't even know you were interested in leadership at the company. Um, that was, what, maybe 20 years ago I think that happened. Um, and honestly, yes, things have changed. But I think what she was wanting to point out is that the structure that led to that pivotal moment for her, the fact that there wasn't management that was – um, really looking to women for leadership in the industry. There weren't uh, resources for women to advance in the industry. And she didn't really even know who to turn to as a mentor. Those are things that that Avixa is actively looking to solve with the councils and um, you know with their solution to making women a key part of the AV industry. What was your favorite takeaway from Christine's message and from her, her keynote speech? Because there was a lot that she laid out, a lot of statistics, a lot of points, and they all hit home, but you know, I think uh, I think hearing from you what you think hit home the most would be interesting. So let's hear it. Yeah. So my um, I obviously have still young children. So I have a, a ten year old and a thirteen year old girl. So my my takeaway is kind of a couple of things that I already know. One of them, I still love that same story as well. And I try very hard, not only with my own daughter, but with other women and young girls that I mentor, college age, high school age girls. Um, I try very hard to encourage them to be strong, to be motivated, you know, to go get them, to go get what they want. And I think that um, message from her reassuring me that that's a good thing to be mentoring was important. But also, I love the stories of getting at girls at a younger age, encouraging them to be in STEM, encouraging, um, you know, girls in middle school, girls in high school that 
there is a place for them in engineering. There's a place for them in technical marketing, technical writing. There's uh, there's jobs and careers in video production. There's video um, post production work. There's broadcasting. They there are careers for them behind the scenes, and just knowing that that's available, um, knowing a little bit more about Sure, understanding that Rose Sure spent 20 years at the head of that company was super exciting. Um, and then knowing that, you know, that people can, can follow their passion and have a career. You know, you can, if you're a musician, you can work at Sure. You know, you can design the way microphones are handled or the types of coverings that they put on them. I mean, some of those those things on the audio side, I didn't even really think about, um, but it was exciting to hear that all of those um, are available. I loved that she chose two wet young women from Sure to introduce herself, and that they both got to tell their story. That was that was probably the highlight for me was that um, she had picked uh, one girl that had been an intern and was there, I think, seven years, and another one that had been there. Three to five years, I think, on a sol- on a smaller time amount of time, and I just loved that she chose them to tell their story and talk a little bit about why they wanted to work there. I thought that was really great and a nice touch. Yeah, it's um, I think it's also representative of the way the industry is treating bringing women into the industry. Um, you know, it's not really like a, a me, me, me thing and that like every leader is a, a focal point for driving women to the industry. It's more of a, an us initiative. Um, and that, I think that was reflected in what you said and just bringing two sure employees up to the booth to introduce Christine. Um, I mean, naturally that's going to set the precedent for, yes, even though Christine is our keynote speaker and she's the CEO of sure, and she places trust and uh, value in having other women from the company introduce her and also tell their story. So, I, I, yeah, I, I think that was a really subtle but great message of leadership for what it's going to take for women to really get to the point where they represent 50-50 of the industry. And it's uh, it's the tagline that I saw for the breakfast, um, empowered women, empower women. That's, that is really, I think, the, the biggest takeaway. Yeah, I agree. I think the other thing that was kind of a surprise, and and most people didn't even really know it, you know, Christine does not speak a lot, obviously, like a lot of speaking set, you know, opportunities to speak outside of the company. And so there were a lot of, um, of, of her, I wouldn't say necessarily competitors, but a lot of other companies that came to even listen to her speak. And I thought, oh, that's such a great opportunity because when are they going to have the opportunity to see her and and hear what she has to say and how she's leading that company? So I thought that was really a fun, um, you know, kind of a neat thing that happened just because it was her that was speaking. And it was the first time we've ever had someone from the industry, much less a woman CEO, speak at the breakfast. So that was huge. All right, Christy, I feel like we have so much more to talk about, but 
a limited amount of time. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to flip the conversation now to the technology that we saw at Infocom because it's just as exciting as some of the cultural changes we saw in the industry. Um, so yeah, let's wrap things up by looking at the tech and what was most exciting to you because there really was a lot to see. Um, so let's start with the established trends in AV, the ones that we've seen for a while now. Were there any that continued their reign, you know, that you saw at Infocom being like, wow, okay, this established trend is still relevant and is making a lot of moves in AV. I would say, I mean, obviously AV over IP is is an established trend that is not going anywhere. Um, I would say one of the, the ones that is probably on the forefront of everyone's mind right now is the integration of esports, esports arenas, esports stadiums. That seems to be a very hot topic and trend across the board. Um really interesting. We've actually been involved in one here in Arlington and we'll soon be having um, kind of some really cool case studies and information on on how we were involved in that. But more than that, telling the story about how even um, a city comes up with developing an esports arena and why you would even want one. I think people look at that who aren't into gaming and and that piece of understanding and they're like, why would anybody go and sit and watch somebody game. But then I had a, a, a friend the other day and, and a child asked, you know, well, you go and watch football and you don't play. So right. why can't I go watch, you know, esports and not play? Like, I don't understand. So the esports trend is definitely hot. You're going to see a lot more about that. Yeah. No, I'm glad you brought that up because um, I spoke to Panasonic and their 4K esports arena really <laughs> blew my mind. I mean, just mm. the fact that they had a Fortnite competition going on at the yep. show was fun. Um, you know, very Gen Z. But yes. um, but it was cool to see in which aspects AV is helping esports become more of a, a serious sport in uh, in everyone's eyes. And what they pointed to was how important the uh, broadcast quality has to be for esports to be taken seriously because yeah. when you see it the the resources that professional sports have uh, things are crisp you hear um, you know you, you hear players on the field you can understand what the uh, the coaches are saying what the refs are saying the quality of the picture is is always crisp no matter if you're zoomed in or zoomed out um, and all of that applies to esports as well but almost to a heightened degree because you also need pov cameras that are on the screens where uh people are playing so you can see their facial expressions because there isn't really any movement it's all about their reactions to what's going on on the screen and then being able to broadcast what's happening on the screen um with high fidelity and you know no buffering issues all of that is super important and that's what panasonic communicated to me um so yeah you know you're totally right whether it's that end or it's the digital signage that's powering the uh, the esports arenas we're seeing pop up as of late, I'm super excited to see what happens with esports and how AV continues to fuel its growth. Um, but I feel like there's still so many untapped areas where esports could um, could use AV's help. Oh yeah, definitely. I agree. It's it's going to be that is going to continue on for sure. Um, and I, I I would think from small to large venues that will continue to pop up. So what are some new developments, um, you know, new trends, something that you saw for the first time at Infocom that you thought had a lot of promise or that really caught your eye? Well, I don't, 
I don't know exactly how they're going to be able to use this, but I do think those transparent screens oh, yeah. LG were absolutely amazing. And I think it was, it was probably at the Samsung booth, um, that large, I think it was an 8K or 16K screen that was on the wall. Wow. It was just fascinating. But the transparent screens really were just incredible. That that was awesome. Uh, I think it'll be interesting on how they can do the content. And then, um, you know, they had a, a regular screen behind it. So you had this 3D version going on. Um, it was It was really neat, fascinating. I think those transparent LEDs will make moves in retail, um, which I think is kind of how they were showing them. They were, yes. Um, but if that can also be combined with augmented reality to the point where someone walks up to that transparent LED and then they can see whatever piece of clothing item is behind that screen now projected onto them uh, and yeah. they can see ooh that would you know, be very cool right yeah or mm-hmm. or being able to project um different things onto an outfit that you can see through the screen so you know let's say you wanted to accessorize an outfit that they're showcasing on a mannequin well now this led screen you know you could maybe choose i want to see what this looks like with a gold watch or with a hat or something um all of that is where i really think these transparent leds are going to shine um and probably also in in like local theater (laughs) maybe not local theater first but um but you know broadway um i could see those led screens being used for a ton of really immersive effects on stage um during concerts uh yeah the the options are really limitless in my eyes Oh, I agree. I I mean, just when you're saying that, I'm thinking, wow, that could be, you know, project an image of whoever the the main band is or what, you know, who your favorite superstar is. And then you just, the person stands right there with them, puts their arm around them. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many cool things you could do. And also, if those ever become touch screens and the content's interactive, then you could, you know, you're right, pick a hat swipe through like a, you know, an iPad, pick which hat you wanted to try on, try on eyeglasses. You know, there'd be so many things that you could see what you're going to look like before you purchased it. So I I think you're right. And then another trend that stood out to me, which I think is more of an established trend, not a really new one, um, but it's this idea of wireless collaboration and how AV is uh, supporting that. Um, I went to a session on bring your own device implementation and what that's doing to the workforce. Um, And I I learned a lot about how people in AV view the importance of wireless collaboration. Um, And honestly, I feel like some people aren't putting enough emphasis on it. Um, A a lot of people were saying, yes, it's important, but it's not quite as important as just the video quality itself, or it's not quite as important as, you know, having good audio in a conference room, which are all valid points. Um, But I think the end user is demanding a lot from their workplace to have the same conveniences that they have at home. And at home, we're seeing a lot of wireless, whether it's connecting to a Google Home or it is a Chromecast or it is, you know, anything in between. They want that same convenience, but leveled up, um, you know, a, a corporate solution in their workplace. And, um, you know, I, I think we are seeing people like Intel, um, like uh, Crestron really push for technologies in that space. But I don't know if AV professionals 
see it as, oh, this is a market we need to be jumping into immediately because of the the opportunities there. Um, what what are your thoughts on that? Have you have you felt like the industry has taken wireless collaboration solutions as an interesting market to explore more heavily? Um, yeah, did did you hear anything about that at Infocom? What are your thoughts? I definitely think that's happening. I mean, I saw, I know I have a friend over at ScreenBeam and they're doing um, some wireless pieces. Um, there's, it's, that's for sure happening. Um, I think there's quite a few challenges with that. And in the right setting with the right end user, it could be perfect. Um, obviously, the government's not going to be doing a ton of wireless. Um, they're going to keep things, you know, much more um, on a network and closed and secure. So uh, there's probably some challenges with security and kind of locking everything down and obviously making sure you have a, a large enough, um, you know, pipe to be able to handle all of that. I mean, if you get multiple devices and you've got uh, other people and, and then you're maybe not securing it correctly and yeah, there could be, there's, there's a lot of things that could go wrong or could often not um, allow the quality of the product to be realized. So uh, there's probably some some way to go. Uh, but as far as like our products and things like that in the industry, I mean, I think everyone is focused on it. We're all trying to figure out um, what really needs to be um, wireless and what doesn't. And will that affect the quality of the product? Right. So it's a trend for sure. I mean, it, you're going to see more of it, absolutely, hands down. And when it's needed, it's great. Um, but, you know, it's not always needed. Yeah, it's all about intentional decisions in AV. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So last thing is I want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about what Contemporary Research uh, showcased at Infocom this year before we um, put a bow on the podcast. So yeah, what was what was fresh this year that contemporary research brought to the table? And what makes you really excited about the new technology you were showcasing? Yeah, so we were um, really excited about all of our IP products, obviously. Um, over the last couple of years, uh, we have been designing and engineering um, very similar IP products to our RF system. And really trying intentionally to create IP products that really work the way people are used to using a television. So channel up and down, you know, volume control, all of those things would work in a similar fashion um, over an IP network, which is a little bit trickier because um, the decoders, the encoders and in an IP system, they don't they don't work exactly the same way. So you you kind of have to do some engineering to make those happen and make those those work. But we did come out with a brand new decoder that offers um, IR and RS two thirty two, so it makes it uh, a controllable display, and it doesn't matter what kind or type of display you've got. So oh, that's cool. nice. We also came out with a IP version of our display control. We've had Venue Vision IP, but we have just an, an IP version so that you can do um, television control over IP. Uh, that we also came out with an upgrade to our QMODs. So we uh, increased uh, a, a dB setting to um, to 45. So that is exciting. And then uh, we just came out with a new tuner, an SDI tuner that also streams IP. 
So we've got a lot of new products, a lot of kind of upgrade to some products, um, but really everything is is sort of on that IP track so that uh, you can, with our products, you can, you can keep the RF if you've got it. You can make it hybrid if you're adding anything new that you want to go IP. And then you can also change it to be an IP product, even if you've got our QMods, because the QMods have an encoder built into them. So you've kind of already got the settings for an IP system. You just need to add the decoders and, and you can move on with that as well. So, um, you know, we're really excited to talk about uh, video distribution and, and how we can help people um, deliver video messaging really in, in any sort of environment. I love that. And Infocom is obviously the perfect place for you to bring this this great back-end technology to the show floor um, because as as so much of the display technology continues to evolve and you know we get to 8k we get to hdr um you know the the back-end systems that companies like contemporary research create become even more necessary because if you know if you can't stream your content in high quality if, if your driver if your processor can't maximize that content then what are you doing, right? So, right. so yeah, great to great to hear that contemporary research is bringing some cool stuff to the table, and we're just gonna have to wait till next year to see how that went. Um, you know how those products make their way into the market, how people react to them, and then we'll have to touch base again on what's fresh because there's always fresh stuff. Always, always, always fresh stuff. Well, Christy, thank you so much for joining us on Video Vices today. It was a pleasure getting to chat, and looking forward to getting you back on in the future. All right, sounds great. Thanks so much, and glad to. Uh, get to be with you at Infocom. That was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, it, it was. Glad we got to share some bacon. Yes. <laughs> and thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of Video Vices. And if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, you can head to contemporaryresearch.com slash category slash podcast. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you're listening to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.